I'm Austin Lugo. I'm Andrew Harp. This is With Nothing to Say. Let's talk about I Know Where I'm Going. Before we get into this week's show, next week we are watching a horror film. What are we watching, Andrew? I've already forgotten. Deadbeat at Dawn. I think the idea is that like the movie is like written, directed, and starring him. Movie from 1988, scuzzy, low-budget movie that he probably just scrounging together whatever money he had to make the movie. Yeah, classic DIY kind of stuff. Yeah, pretty much. I don't think we've really done any low-budget films on the podcast before. We've done a couple of horror films, but... This one looks pretty scuzzy and low-budget. That uh, sounds like fun. It's going to be a blast. We watch Reanimator. That movie's kind of low-budget, but it doesn't show too much. I would say. Uh, I guess that's true. Videodrome, I would describe as a horror film, but you know, it's Cronenberg. So but this week we're watching I Know Where I'm Going, arguably the most Scottish film to ever exist. It's so Scottish. Unfortunately, so yeah. It's so Scottish, in fact, that when Emily came home yesterday and heard me watching the movie, yeah, she legitimately thought it was another language. Yeah. Those accents are thick, man. Yeah, they occasionally will speak. Gaelic? Is yeah, that the Gaelic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty Scottish. Yeah. This movie's basically like a. You ever watch, like, sometimes, like, during Christmas time, we'll watch a bunch of, like, really bad, like, Hallmark Christmas movies. Yeah. A lot of them are boring and not funny. Some of them are kind of funny. Mm-hmm. This one's kind of like the proto Hallmark Christmas movie because it's like a lot of the Hallmark Christmas movies are uh, very ideological and they'll do a thing where. It's very much the same exact story as this movie where you have like a enterprising young woman in the city. They live in the big city and they have to go somewhere. They have to leave the city to do something or go somewhere or see someone. And then something maybe goes wrong like in this movie where they get stuck like in a small town. Yep. The culture shock is understandable, but in like Hallmark Christmas movies, it's not because <laughs> it's just like they get like stuck they go from the big city to small town, yeah. Yeah, to like a small town, like American city in like the south or west or whatever. Whatever. But everybody's like really rich. Like everybody yeah. has a lot of money, you know. Like she'll go to like the to the house of like the romantic interest, the guy, mm -hmm. and it's like a very, very nice house. <laughs> very nice. And there's some nice houses in this, but. A little different. I guess they, they have like character, I guess. And then, yeah, she like hates it and she's kind of like hoity-toity a little bit, but then she starts to like really like. You know, it's like, it's kind of nice and stuff. And then, you know, they fall in love at the end. There are so many movies I've seen that have this exact same structure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like the proto of those movies. <laughs> Maybe not even the proto of these movies. There's probably like somewhere in between this movie and all those movies that I'm missing. <laughs> yeah, speaking as someone who's watched a lot of romantic comedies from this era, from the 1930s through 40s especially through like the depression era and then the war era here this is very boilerplate paint by the numbers when it comes to the storyline you know we've seen this a million times it's very distilled though i think yeah well let's get into it let's get into i know where i'm going yeah directed by pal pal and pressburger the archers as they're called the archers i love that that was like their like calling card i guess them together Huh. That's cool. Yeah, because you know, at the beginning they have like this as the archers. Mm -hmm. That's like their calling card. The Pressburger and Pal calling card. I love that. Yeah, it's dope. That's sick. 
Is there a reason behind that? I haven't really looked that far into it. I just know that that's like their <laughs> calling card or whatever. Well, the movie opens in sort of a newsreel type fashion, and you kind of get the first 25 years. The opening is a little confusing because they have like the narrator, and then he never <laughs> returns. <laughs> he never returns. But whatever. It's like, oh, God, is there going to be a narrator? And then there wasn't the for the rest thing. of the movie. And like, that's good. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's to hearken to those kind of newsreels that they do before films of that era, especially because, right, this is came out during the Great World War II. Yeah, 1945, which they mentioned in the movie. Yeah. They have quite a few references to the war, as they call it. Mm hmm. But during that time, they would always do a newsreel before the film began, and they'd kind of have that kind of right. voice where he's like, ah, blah, blah. You're right. So I think it's supposed to be yeah. a little tongue in cheek because the narrator kind of, like, there's a little bit of back and forth between the narrator and what's going on in the scene, which is fun. But yeah, if that was through the whole film, which I've seen a couple of films where they do that because there was this idea at the time that just like films would just kind of run through that like newsreel kind of thing, it's awful. That would have been a terrible film <laughs> it would have yeah it was just kind of like this weird opening whatever the movie's like very erratic it goes by very quickly <laughs> yes it's edited in a quick fashion i think it's a short film it only runs 90 minutes so you know it's very like to the point so we learn about our protagonist here and this is a woman who knows where she's going joan yeah she i know where i'm i know where i'm going i love the song <laughs> the song is a little funny the i know where i'm going song bro that shit went hard that was such a great song you're at the beginning as she's leaving on the train you're like oh, okay <laughs> and then at the end i think there's a couple of fun songs in here and joan is a modern american or english woman she's english i think everybody's english there are no americans and she's prepared to find a man because she needs the money. Yeah, she found one. And that's where the movie begins. Already having found the man. Telling yeah, her, right away. her daddy. It wasn't waste any time. It's so good. She She's letting her dad know like, yo, I'm marrying this guy. And he's like, okay. <laughs> I love it. She's like, oh, it's quick. But of course, she's not really marrying him. She's marrying the man for his money. The chemical something industries. It's like CCI. Something chemical industries. He owns it or something. Yeah. <laughs> He's like a, a billionaire. He's a a Jeff Bezos of his time. Rockefeller. Sure. Yeah. Those kind of people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just a really rich guy. Yep. And they've never met face to face. How do you think they met? I guess letters? I don't. They don't really explain at all. No. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Who cares? Sir Roger Bellinger. And he, li he lives on an island called Kaloran, which, by the way, it's not a real island. I thought it was real, but it's not. <laughs> I mean, I don't know much about like... I mean, yeah, I didn't know. I wouldn't know either way. I don't know much about Scottish geography or anything like that. But uh, yeah, I'm just, I, I read that it was not real. Okay. I had to look it up on a map where Scott... Like, I know relatively where Scotland is, but I did have to look it up on a map to kind of figure out where Scotland was relative to the uk and ireland because well one i'm not good with geography and especially geography that isn't the united states so I'm not a world traveler well i don't really care about the united kingdom that much yeah she's going to cloran island and so she has to do this really big trip where she goes from manchester and she goes like northwest so it's like this really big trip and she finally like ends up like on the coast like she can see the island across the sea right so close it's right there and she can't leave 
It's her perpetual curse that she is so close, yeah, so far away, which is something that I really enjoy about this film. The idea that she travels thousands of miles. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Goes on all these trains and ferries, right? Takes all forms yeah. of travel, gets up middle of the night, great montage. Everyone loves a good train montage, all this kind of stuff. And she's right there. She can see the coast. She can see Kaloran. And yet, despite the fact that she is so close, she is equally infinitely far away. She might as well be on the other side of the world. It's like right there. She can see it, but it's too rocky. She can't do it or she'll die. So she has to like wait out on this like other island with all these other Scottish people and things ensue from there. I think she goes to like a house and she meets like a couple wacky characters. Well, she meets Torquil. Torquil? McNeil? McNeil is the guy. McNeil. Who also is trying to go to Kaloran Island, and they meet each other, and he's the romantic interest. He's a cool military guy. He's on leave. That's right. And we also meet the wacky Falconer. He's like the uh, comedy relief character. He's fun. I like him. <laughs> yeah, he's cool. Yeah. And the uh, the other lady, too. The one that owns the house. I don't remember her name. I don't remember her name either, but she's cool. There's so many dogs in this movie, like a lot of dogs. Yeah, there's a lot of animals and stuff. Second movie we've seen in a row that has a lot of animals. Wait, no. Yeah, we saw Holy Mountain last time. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of animals too. They love their dogs. Like, yeah, she went rabbit hunting. Got a fox. Yeah, she's just meeting everybody and everybody's just kind of like weird and different to her. And she's just kind of put off by it, obviously. And once again, you know, classic, classic stuff she doesn't understand, but she will understand. She's a big city lady in a, in a small town world. She's a big city lady. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, she's obsessed with getting to Kaloran. She has to follow this very specific schedule. Yeah, because she's getting married soon. And everyone keeps telling her, like, you're, you're not going to get across to Kaloran. Like, it's not an option. But she's like, no, I'm going to do it. It's a great way to express the different feelings of all these different characters, how they interact with the world. Our main character, Joan, she's a very stubborn lady. I didn't think she was like super unlikable, though. Like in the Hallmark movies that I've mentioned and other romantic comedies similar to this one, they always kind of make out the women to seem like a huge bitch, like right from the beginning. There's some kind of like vindictive and, and like mean about how like maybe like the female characters are written. And this movie, a little bit later, she becomes very frustrating from like a viewer. We feel like she's being unreasonable and dumb. But I still kind of root for her. I still kind of like feel bad for her. No, I completely agree. I think she can be a difficult character to get along with, but her motives always seem genuine. And from her perspective, a place of love, even when she's putting other people in danger. And perhaps as a viewer, we don't necessarily think that's a good idea. Her motives never seem cruel. I don't think so, no. Or as if they are trying to be mean to anyone in particular. It's more of just a culture shock. I mean, maybe she has a bit of classism going on. But I think that might be partly because she's not originally from money. And the kind of class dynamics of here are peculiar. Because it's weird. She's not really rich. No. She's like middle class. And she kind of encounters like a lot of like rich people that live there in castles and stuff. But they're only kind of rich. It's like the way people in like 
the countryside of England are rich, which is like they have like these giant castles and stuff, or they own entire fucking islands, but they're also poor. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But like they don't have any money, right? Right. That's a good point. Yeah, you're right. They have a dowry or whatever. Yeah, it's a uniquely British or at the very least European sort of thing where you're simultaneously like you have the essence of being this kind of rich person because you have like a castle or something, but then you don't actually have any money. Like they're all kind of poor. But they do have each other. That's what's important. That's what it's all about, baby. Family and friendship. It's all about family. It's about it's about family. So Joan wants to get to Kaloran, but it is so foggy outside that no one can It's it is really funny when she like goes to bed and she always like prays. She's like, I pray that <laughs> I can go across it and then it like it get it gets worse. It's like maybe she should try not praying. Maybe that would help. What I love about the first prayer and really all of the subsequent prayers is in a certain ironic fashion, Oliver prayers are answered because of course her first prayer is that the fog will be blown away (laughs) and ironically enough it was fog is blown away by just the most insane winds to have ever hit the scottish isles yeah and they're like it's gonna take like maybe a week for it to not be like this (laughs) it's like oh okay she's stuck like on the island with all these like random people it's a frustrating situation to be in i mean you're so close and because of just the technology of the time although even today right i mean if you're trying to go to a small island like that it'd probably be a same situation where you're kind of just a slave to the weather to fates to destiny which is something that this film is very interested in and how fate or destiny or whatever word you want to use influences the choices that we make in life and love and all that kind of fun stuff the movie does kind of have that element of kind of like that spiritual element to it which i kind of like that fantastical element to kind of once again reference Hallmark Christmas movies. <laughs> they love to do that too. Spirit of Christmas. The power of, and spirit of Christmas magic. In this movie, it's just general, like, I guess, Scottish magic or whatever. And they do talk about that stuff in the movie, right? Like, they go, like, you have that scene where they go to the castle, where Joan and McNeil, they go to the castle, a ruined castle, and they're watching, and she's like, I want to go in. Da, 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 da. And he's like, I cannot go in. Like, why not? Like, I know there's a curse or whatever. He's like, well, Big reveal. Yeah, the big reveal is that he is the owner of the island. <laughs> it's like his island or whatever. It's like, I can't go in. And people who own the island can't go in it. Then be the rules. If you own an island, kick on the castle. Them's the breaks. <laughs> and then, yeah, he, he cannot go in. And she's just like, okay. Sorry, I guess. <laughs> and then I think they go in a bus, right? And then like there's a bunch of guys that are talking about how much Bellinger sucks. And he comes into contact with Bellinger and he sounds really annoying and lame. and. It's like kind of like the faith element where her being stuck has led to her kind of getting to know Bellinger and how much he sucks, but then also getting to know McNeil, who's really epic and cool. He's a very cool guy. And the rear projection throughout this film is, is fucking insane. It gives a, me a constant sense of nausea. It's moving so fast. It's fucking all over the place. Like if you- it's, it's, a pretty, it's a pretty fast movie. Yeah. Yeah. The whole movie's fucking fast. And whenever on the bus, like if you look at the rear projection, they're fucking flying. (laughs) Maybe a little too fast. (laughs) Maybe a little little too fast. That's okay. (laughs) But it's fun. They're all talking about, you know, this loser is building a pool and bringing salmon in from the island and just a real lame-o. I mean, he's rich, but no one likes him because he's just doesn't seem like a good person. Like he's just 
kind of crummy. Yeah, and he's just like he's just like an old rich guy. And she refuses to believe his naivete. I suppose she wants to believe. She refuses to let like her feelings uh, dictate uh, what she wants to do. Right? She's the money man. She knows where she's going. She's thinking with her brain and not her heart. Exactly. Like the song in the in the movie too. They kind of have this back and forth, right? Where they're kind of like they're hanging out and have a good time, but then she'll kind of push back. Like when they go to have lunch, and she's like. I think we should sit at separate tables, which is just like, oof, that's rough. It's intense, man. That's like, oh my God, that hurts. <laughs> and they're the only people there. Like, they're the only people in that diner. It's basically just them. It doesn't matter, but she's just like, bro, I don't. You can't fall in love. She can't afford it, man. She needs that money. She needs to become that rich lady. It's all about that cash money flow. She can't think about love or desires. She's got to think with her brain, not her heart. But. It's too much, right? They still hang out. They still see each other. They go visit that like one castle with that one family. And like, I think they kind of like pretend not to know each other and stuff. And they like have like the little girl with the glasses and stuff. And very 1940s rom-com scene, I think, where they're having dinner. They're having breakfast. And it's kind of weird and awkward, I guess. There's something about films of this era. And maybe it's because of the rise of child stars during this time. But movies of this era fucking love precocious kids like they all yeah. have them for some reason <laughs> that's true they love like a like a stupid smarmy like not stupid but like an overly smart smarmy kid who's just like yeah you're definitely definitely right about that yeah <laughs> and, and all that stuff is pretty funny i don't think the movie like made me laugh too often it made me laugh a few times definitely i think it's funny and jaunty that's probably the best word for it it's feel good I would describe it I as like I wasn't so. laughing a lot through the film, but there's like little, you know, chuckles and like yeah. you feel you feel good watching film. It's just sort of a warm hearted sort of film more than it is classic Howard Hawks style a screwball comedy. You know, I like the movie. I did. But I will say that like when they got to the scene where they have the celebration for the couple, it's not like a bad scene, but I was having like a really hard time like sitting through it. <laughs> I was kind of getting a little tired of all the Scottish stuff. So much Scottish stuff. It's so Scottish. And I get it. Like they have to have a scene where they're all dancing and singing and kind of having a celebration. Like they have to have that scene. Absolutely. But I don't know. I, I don't think I was in the mood to like for that scene at all. I was kind of having a bad time with that one. I just was not <laughs> like feeling it. It just wasn't reacting with my brain. But it's not like bad. Like it's most people watching are like, oh, yeah, you know, whatever. But I just was not digging that part. For some reason. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I was like, okay, whatever. I don't know. I will say for me, I sometimes struggled to figure out what was going on because those Scottish accents were so thick. Like I really had to focus. I probably should have turned the subtitles on, honestly, because at times I couldn't. Because it's not only that they had a thick Scottish accent or sometimes they would switch to Gaelic without any warning, but also that there's just a lot of phrases and just like, isms that are both of the yes. era of the 1940s and then also scottish and it's just a lot of things going on yeah sometimes feels a little challenging to figure out what the hell anyone is saying or what they're trying to say i mean you can get it from context because like I, we've talked about it's a pretty paint by the numbers film but especially during this celebratory scene because it seems extra scottish as you put it's just too much at that point right like it's too many like scottish pleasantries i, I was just kind of done with that but I think that, that is salvaged, though, with like the last half hour of the movie, I think. The last half hour is uh, 
quite good. There's a very sharp turn after the celebratory scene, which to speak a little bit more about the celebratory scene, I like the music a lot. I think it's fun. I like the singing. I like choirs for some reason. Like I like when people sing. It's just too much shit. Like it's not like bad. It's just like my patience was just wearing thin a little bit. Like it's not even a bad scene and there's nothing wrong with it at all. It's just like for some reason last night when I tried to watch it, it was really kind of like really annoying me. No, I I completely understand because the thing about this movie is 90% of this movie up until this point, really until you get after the scene is just people sitting around talking. Like, there's not... Yeah, they're just getting... Everybody's just kind of, like, getting to know each other. Yeah, yeah. Which, I mean, we're an hour into this film, and it's only 90 minutes long, so it moves at a fast pace, but so much of the movie up to this point has kind of just been people getting in different rooms, sitting, talking, (laughs) and you can only take so much of that, so I get it. Like, at this point, you're like, okay, we're waiting for something to happen. Like, we kind of need to push forward. The last half hour of this movie is probably more eventful than any other, like, movie that has a similar plot that's been made in the past 10, 15, 20 years. Yeah. The last 30 minutes of this film is absolutely wild, and I love it. And we should get into it. So, Joan is like, fuck it. I don't care anymore. Yeah, she fucking freaks out. (laughs) She freaks out. Like, whoa. It's very intense. Because she's in love. She fell in love with this man. She's like, I can't do it. Can't do the love. Gotta have that sweet money. So she's like, I'm going there today and you're going to take me. And the guy's like, no, I'm not going to do that. I don't care how much you pay me. You will die. You, you will, will die. die. Water. And she's like, eh, it's fine. She's so frustrating, but I get it. She's just over it. She's just ready. I mean, she's been on this island for like seven days, just looking over. I mean, it's so close. Again, she can see it. But she just can't get there. She is so close. She's so far away. And so she's like, fuck it. I'm going to I'm going to do what I want. If you're not going to take me, I will find someone who will take me. And she like manipulates that kid, that poor boy. He's like 18 years <laughs> old, poor kid. And she's like, I'll give you like, what, 20 pounds to take 20 me across. Pounds. And he agrees. He's like, yeah, because then he can get married with the love of his life. He's like, fuck, 20 pounds. Apparently, that's a lot of money. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> who knows? <laughs> Once again, you know, very frustrating, but it's very well acted and, and well made. Like, it's frustrating, but I think it has to be for this scene in particular. So everyone's a bit on their wits end. I mean, everyone's pissed because they're like, if this boy goes across, he's going to die. Like, we don't care if Joan dies. Like, that's not our concern. But this boy. Yeah, fuck her. <laughs> fuck her. will die. And then not only will they die, then they'll have to send somebody out to find them. And then those people will also die. It's just a whole lot of people dying. And they're not for it. Yeah, they like they have like a big argument, which is like crazy, like uh, between like McNeil and Joan. She like throws her around like he's very frustrated and she still doesn't care and she's still going to go. And then McNeil is just like, okay, whatever, I'll go with you guys. And so like the three of them, the kid, McNeil and Joan get in the boat to go to Kaloran, finally. <laughs> when they first like go out, by the way, I did laugh at like um, where they're both like, they're kind of like peering over, right? The boat. And she gets blasted with water. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. I'm just imagining someone like standing off like a camera, just going, <laughs> just like throwing a big bucket of water on her. That's such a funny shot. I laughed really hard at that. <laughs> <laughs> this boat scene is absolutely wild. It's really good. At the beginning and different parts of the film, like they really fucking did go out in the water and shoot a boat like in fucking 
rough waters, which it might be a miniature, but even still, it's very impressive. It looks great. And the rear projection here is at its wildest. I mean, that fucking camera yeah. is just all <laughs> it's over a little, the place. It's a little silly, yeah, but I'm okay with it. Yeah, the, everybody's like really like the special effects are just okay, right? But at least the actors are giving it their all. They sure are. Everybody's like flailing around. Joan has to like scoop water out of the boat and she like looks genuinely in distress, you know? Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, it looks legitimately painful even just to be in that studio because it's just pouring down fucking water on them. That boat's moving up and down. The camera's flying all over the place. I mean, they're probably fucking cold and wet and... It's a lot going on. Yeah. <laughs> it's wild, man. I mean, they're just throwing water on these people. It seems like it gets worse. Like they go out to the water and all of a sudden the storm gets worse. And I think it does. I think they get hit yeah. with like a, a storm again. Like Yeah, they like go straight into like a rainstorm. It's wild. And then they like survive it. And then the boat's engine dies, of course, because it's they weren't supposed to go out there. And then they get caught in a whirlpool. The fucking whirlpool. The famous whirlpool of Scottish legend in which... A man has to survive three days in some fucking whirlpool, and he's given three ropes. Oh, okay. It's the story. Okay, got it. Mm -hmm. I think it's a real fable. I think it's based off like a real fable. I bet it is, yeah. I'm not like 100% on that, but it sounds very similar to a couple of different Greek myths, which I am much more familiar with. So I feel like it's real, but I'm not 100% on this. I did not research it to see if it was real or not. But anyways, the idea of the fable... Is this man's got to survive in a whirlpool for three days. And so he gets three ropes. He gets a rope of twine, a rope of hemp, and a rope made of maidens who are faithful to their lovers. Yeah, that was the story. Yeah, and they tell the story earlier in the movie. But on the boat, we learned that all three ropes had broke. They failed. They failed. They fucking failed, which is a terrible time to finish the story. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, yeah, at the end of the story... The man dies because one of the women was unfaithful. No. <laughs> Terrible time to uh, bring that up. Yeah, that's a really bad time because they're going to die in a whirlpool. It's just like, yeah, this like moment where he's like trying to like <laughs> fix the engine and yeah, but he's epic. He fixes that engine and they get out of there. Fucking does it. That's the one thing that the guy in the fable didn't have. He didn't have a boat engine. <laughs> <laughs> didn't have a boat engine. It was he was born too uh, early. <laughs> He would have been fine if he had a boat engine. Is this a real whirlpool? Because I'm like watching it now. It, it does look like they used footage of like a real whirlpool. I don't think they were actually out there. No, I don't think there's anyone out there. They threw a piece of wood or something out there. They're like, okay. They use a lot of miniatures in this film, especially early on when they do like trains and that sort of thing. And certainly throughout the film. But I don't know when I'm looking at the whirlpool scenes, it does not look like a miniature. And maybe it's just a really good miniature. And I'm just fooled by... I don't think that's a miniature. You think it's a real whirlpool? There's maybe like an area in the United Kingdom somewhere where maybe whirlpools happen often and maybe they just waited for like a really good one. Maybe you can make them artificially somehow with like some machine. I don't really know. The magic of movies, man. <laughs> Once again, you know, it's not really like the best special effects, but I don't know. It's 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 high effort, I would say. It's, it's yeah. <laughs> high effort enough, I would say. I would say the effort's good. And I think that the story carries enough that it doesn't really matter at the end of the day. It looks good enough that, like, you buy it. Like, it's, it's fine. fine. Yeah. You get the idea. But they survive. They get away from the whirlpool just in the nick of time. He fixes the engine and they have to go back. They were so close to Kaloran, but they actually have to go back to 
whatever fucking island they're on, which is in Kalar. They're like, I think Mole is where they were at. Yeah, they have to like uh, hang out again for a little while and just kind of sit around and until they're ready to go again. They now share this moment, this life and death moment. <laughs> and then you get to the ending, which the ending we might as well talk about now, I guess. We made it through the boat scene and now the ending is basically next. A really great ending, by the way. Joan's about to leave and then they share a kiss. Passionate kiss. She can't even finish her sentence without like wanting to kiss. And then they just, yeah. And then they go their separate ways. And McNeil's like, you know what? Fuck this shit. I want to go in the castle that I can't go into. And he does it. He walks into the castle. They must have found a, a real castle. It looks real. It looks real. Like some fucking abandoned watchtower or some shit. Very cool. And he walks up the tower. And while he's walking up the tower, we hear the story of how the castle was cursed. And the story goes that this man and woman were in love, but they drown. I missed exactly why they drowned. It's like McNeil's ancestor went to the castle to capture his unfaithful wife and her lover. And he like put them in a dungeon or something. And I think the wife put a curse on the lairds of Kaloran. And then he like goes up the steps and he's like reading the curse and the story and everything <laughs> and like a voiceover and he goes up and he reads it, I think. And which it says, any McLean who enters this castle will never leave a free man. And you're like, whoa, no. Oh, shit. <laughs> oh, no. And then cut two, we see uh, Joan led by three men playing bagpipes coming back. Yeah, you see Joan, you're like, oh, fuck, it's Joan. And then we get the final reveal of the curse, which is that <laughs> he will forever be chained to his gold ball and chain, as it were. <laughs> He'll be chained to a woman until he dies in his chains. That's the curse. <laughs> That's the punishment for the curse, which is a great ending. <laughs> I love it. It's just a kind of good ending where the whole curse has been kind of like built out through the movie. But then him going into the castle, I guess in a way, you could interpret it either way, but him going to the castle, activating the curse so that they would be together, which is what they really want. So him kind of saying like, you know what, fuck this, I'm going to go in the castle, helped to put them together. And that's the movie. It's a great ending, honestly. It's a bit of a tearjerker in some ways, yeah. I think. Yeah, I think, it, I, think it, I think it's that effective. I think it's a absolutely wonderful ending. It really brings everything together. And something that I love about movies of this era is that movies just fucking end. You have your big climactic moment, they come together, and then that's it. Like, there's no, like, fucking five years later, there's no 20-minute monologue about, you know, how everything is. It just, it's just like, like, okay, boom. The end comes onto the screen. That's it. That's all you need. <laughs> yeah, we don't need to see them years later and they have a kid. Who cares? Doesn't matter. Yeah, but... This is a great ending, a really, really great ending, and uh, just a good movie overall. All right. Well, I'll give my final thoughts first, because I feel like you've been doing sure. the final thoughts first for a while. So I'll, yeah, I'll take over. First. I'll go, go first. first. So, of course, I love a good rom-com, especially from this era. I love a good romance. I love pretty much anything from the 1930s, 40s. It's just weirdly nostalgic to me, and I don't know why. I've talked about this before. I think it has something to do with growing up as a kid watching these kind of movies with my grandparents who love this kind of stuff or 
something like that. But there's just something very feel good about it. I love the challenges of these eras where they had to combat the Catholic Church. And so all films kind of had to be under this weird sort of G rating, which made making these kind of films sort of challenging. But I think in a way that challenge made these films all the better because today's sort of rating system, you can get away with a lot more. And I think that's led to a lot of cheap jokes, especially like the early 2000s. I mean, you think of a lot of those rom-coms and just kind of like the cheap chops at people that really don't lead to anything. I think these kind of films are a lot more heartwarming and touching and had a lot more challenges, which I think made the films all the better in the end. I think all of the performances in this are great. I would have loved to see like a Catherine Hepburn or a Cary Grant in one of these performances, but I think everyone... I like that they're not those people. <laughs> I, I like that they're just kind of people I've never seen before. I think it makes it more um, down to earth. Yeah. I think I've seen the McLean guy in a couple of things before, but I don't know if I've seen her in anything big. They all look familiar, but I'm not sure if I've seen them any big roles necessarily but they both give incredible performances there's some great use of lighting here some expressionistic kind of stuff some very beautiful silhouettes they definitely use the scottish countryside to great effect even though it is a film of the 1940s and some of the special effects maybe are a little dated i think as you put it everyone's really trying their best here. I mean, they really do go to a fucking whirlpool and they're on trains and all this kind of shit. So a nod to them in all those different directions. I think the music is fun. The Scottishness of the film is almost overbearing at times. This movie moves at an extremely fast pace. I mean, it's it fucking flies. And yet despite this, there does seem to be a bit of a lull because... So much of the film is just people sitting around talking, which does get a bit old at times, but I think they handle it well. I think they do everything in their power to kind of work with it. I wish there was even more stuff in the Scottish countryside, even though there's so much there. It's just like when you're given the opportunity to shoot in the Scottish countryside, just fucking put everything out there. Like, don't do anything indoors. Just do it all in fucking Scottish countryside. It is a bit boilerplate. It is a bit paint by the numbers. So... If I was using my old system, I'd probably give this film a 7 out of 10, but I don't do 7s anymore because that's kind of too middle of the road. So I would say it's like a very low 8 out of 10, like just on the precipice of 8. I think it's a solid 7 for me. I think it's really good. I think you nailed it for the most part. Some of the stuff was a little uh, much for me, but the last half hour is good. The ending's really good. I think everyone in it is really good. I think the vibes are really good. And... There's clearly a lot of like skill in the directing of the movie. It's just kind of like a really solid boilerplate like rom-com of this time. It's just really, really solid. There's not really a lot to hate on. It's just kind of more of like what your preferences are. And like I said, there were some things that were a little grating, but those moments kind of came and went due to the movie's pace. And yeah, you know, there's not really like a whole lot to say about it. It's just a solid, you know, rom-com from the 40s, you know, so, you know, seven out of 10. All right, y'all. Thank you for listening. You can find everything I do at AustinLugo12. I'm on Letterboxd at RetroAndrew, R-E-T-R-0, Andrew. And you can find this podcast wherever you hear podcasts. You can also find us on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at Theater42 or with nothing to say. And thank you all for listening. Thank you again.